zero errors in the Bible. Then there's a more moderate position, which is held by moderate Protestants and Catholics, which is that there are no errors in the Bible in various translations of it, yes, but in the original books, absolutely not. And frankly, you might also find a number of Latter-day Saints who would latch onto that position. Then you find the position that Joseph Smith took and the one that many Latter-day Saints, probably most Latter-day Saints would take, which is scriptures are inspired books that still have human errors because people were involved in writing them, even the original books before they were translated and transmitted and changed over the course of time. Now which of those positions is more accurate? I suppose to a certain extent it is something that depends on your point of view and the denomination in which you happen to find yourself. But there are some facts about this that are certain and they kind of lead us in a direction and we're going to go through some of those today because you rarely see them laid out in quite this fashion. The first one is that if you take a look for example at 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 9 you will find that Paul said in 1 Corinthians that he wrote a letter to the church in Corinth before this letter. In other words, what we call 1 Corinthians is really 2 Corinthians, and the original 1 Corinthians is lost. We just don't have it. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 16, Paul tells the church in Colossae that its members should read the letter that he had previously written to the church in Laodicea the letter of Paul to the Laodiceans is lost. We don't have it. It is nowhere to be found. And so, at the very least, when we see things like that, and when we see statements, for instance, Luke writes in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, that many people have tried to tell the story of what God has done among us. And then he goes on to say that he's made a careful study of everything and talked to the eyewitnesses, and so he's going to tell you what really happened. That lets you know that there are a number of other early Gospels, many of which have been lost. It's also true that if you take a look at the earliest manuscripts of the book of Mark, Everything after chapter 16, verse 8, is lost from all the earliest manuscripts. The ending that we have today was something that people wrote probably close to a century after the originals were written, or at the very least a century after the events, and it was appended to the end. So then you have to say, well, there are no errors in the Bible. It's completely inerrant. Even with just these examples, it's hard to say 
that the Bible as we have it now is the inerrant, inspired, infallible Word of God, which would be the conservative evangelical position. It's starting to look like, at the very best, you're going to have to have the statement that the originals were inspired and perhaps inerrant, but translations, the books we have now that have been transmitted through so many different variations and languages, um, maybe not so much. So maybe the moderate Protestant Catholic version is the best. Well, let's take a look at some other comments here and see where we go at this point. Uh, there are a number of changes in our existing scriptures that have been made by scribes. The second oldest Bible manuscript, the Codex Vaticanus, that dates to about 345 AD, has a note written in its margin by one of the copyists, one of the scribes, which says, quote, fool and knave, leave the old reading. Don't change it, close quote. So the idea that the scriptures have been changed is something that the scribes themselves knew. Then we have a bishop in the early Christian church in Alexandria, Egypt, a man named Origen Adamantius. He lived from 184 AD to 253 AD, and he complained about the copyists and the changes that they were making. He was really unhappy about this. He did not like it at all. He he talked about all the changes that had been made. And when you look at the changes that have been made, it's quite fascinating. Because some of these really are doctrinally significant. There's another comment that a bishop of Corinth named Dionysius he lived from 96 A.D. to 171 A.D., said, um, here's, here's what he said, quote, when my fellow Christians invited me to write letters, I told them I did so. But these, the devil's apostles, have filled with tares, taking away some things and adding others. For them, the woe is reserved. Small wonder, then, that if some have dared to tamper even with the word of the Lord himself, when they have conspired to mutilate my own humble efforts, close quote. So this good bishop in the church in Corinth wrote things that he, during his lifetime, saw had been changed. And he was very unhappy about it. And he called the scribes the devil's apostles. He was very, very unhappy about it. There are some very interesting comments. An anti-Christian named Celsus was also aware of the problem of scribes changing the scriptures. But he criticized them for a little bit different reason. Here's what he said. Some believers, as though from a drinking bout, go so far as to oppose themselves and 
alter the original text of the gospel three or four or several times over, and they change its character to enable them to deny difficulties in the face of criticism, close quote. So here we see some of the reasons why the changes were made. There were criticisms being made against the originals, and the scribes changed them to make those criticisms a bit more difficult. When we come back from our break, we're going to talk a bit more about some of the changes that have been made to the Bible, because they are incredibly important, some of them doctrinally significant. Stay tuned. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. I received an email this past week making strong criticisms about my lack of stating sources. And so let me add a comment right now. It's very, very difficult in two short 10-minute segments to cite to everything that I mention. So if you have concerns or would like some of the sources to the items that I talk about, send me an email and ask for them. I'll be happy to provide them. They do exist. I just tend not to mention all of the sources in detail because we have such limited time to deal with them in this program. Send an email to me if you have questions, comments, want the sources, would like anything else, would like to pick a fight or, or ask questions, whatever it may be, send it to martinstanner at gmail.com, martinstanner at gmail.com, and I'll be happy to respond. Today, if you're just joining us, we're talking about the nature of the Bible. Is it the complete, inerrant, inspired, infallible Word of God? Is it, on the other hand, a book that has errors in it now, but had no errors in the original? Or is it a book that's inspired, but still has errors because people were involved in writing it? Or is it just completely a man-made book? We're exploring where the evidence leads us on those important questions or those possibilities. Now let's talk a bit about the manuscripts. There are right now over 5,800 known Bible manuscripts. For those who may not be too familiar with this terminology, manuscripts, talking about ancient, handwritten accounts of the Bible, or the Bible written in someone's handwriting, that, uh, that are early efforts to maintain the Bible. Because after all, the printing press wasn't invented until about 1440, and the Bible was printed shortly after that. Everything before 1440, hence, had to have been handwritten. And those handwritten Bibles are the early manuscripts. Some of them date to just after the first century. Some of them even date to the 
latter part of the first century. We have some small fragments. When you get to the Old Testament, we have some that date to at least two or 300 B.C. Of those 5,800 known Bible manuscripts, no two of them are exactly the same word for word. In fact, there are more differences between manuscripts than there are words in the entire New Testament. Let me say that again. There are more differences between the manuscripts in their wording than there are words in the entire New Testament. Now, some might say, wow, that's horrible. And others might say, ah, none of those are doctrinally significant. Well, the way the Bible is translated is doctrinally significant in many ways. For example, was the creation of the earth out of nothing, ex nihilo, or was it from existing matter? Well, it depends on which Bible translation you happen to read. The King James Version to many, implies a creation out of nothing. It says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness moved upon the face of the deep. So it sounds like God just created the heavens and the earth, and then it was without form and void. But the original manuscripts don't quite say that. What they say is more clearly shown in the contemporary English version, for example, which says, quote, when God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was barren with no form of life. It was under a roaring ocean covered with darkness. Now let's try that again. When God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was already barren with no form of life. So when God's creating the heavens and the earth, the earth's already there. But it's barren and without life. Very different ways of translating the early, early manuscripts. And I would, based on my experience with the early manuscripts, say that the contemporary English version is more accurate. Here's another one that becomes muddled or muddied in the King James Version because, frankly, a lot of people who have translated it didn't like what it had to say. Genesis chapter 18, verses 16 and 22 talk about the Lord being in the presence of Abraham and eating with him. That doesn't sound like a spiritual God. So it's kind of muddied up. The contemporary English version says the three men got ready to leave. Two of the men turned and started away, but the Lord stayed with Abraham. Clearly, this is the Lord. The New English Bible has a fascinating thing that's applicable to Latter-day Saints in Ezekiel 37, which Latter-day Saints of Long Believe talks about the Book of Mormon and the Bible coming together. Most people say, no, I was just talking about two sticks. But here is the 
New English Bible's translation. There were the words of the Lord to me. Man, take one leaf of a wooden writing tablet and write on it Judah and his associates of Israel. Then take another leaf of a wooden writing tablet and write on it Joseph, the leaf of Ephraim, and all of his associates of Israel. Now bring the two together to form one writing tablet. Then they will be a folding writing tablet in your hand. He's talking about two books being brought together, two writing tablets. Here's another doctrinally significant difference, depending on how one translates the original manuscripts. Is there pre-existence before the time of conception? According to the King James Version in Galatians 1, chapter 15, it's a little bit uncertain. It pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and who called me by his grace. But listen to what the early manuscripts say according to the contemporary English Version. But even before I was born, God had chosen me. He was kind to me, close quote clearly saying there is a pre-existence according to the earliest manuscripts used for the contemporary English version. And there are many, many different ones. One of the most fascinating ones that we probably have a little bit of time to do right here at the end is in 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 11 through 15 and in Related one in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 33 through 36, which says, let women keep silence in the churches. It's not permitted for them to speak. Well, the problem with those verses is that they were added several centuries after Paul wrote the originals. They don't show up in any of the original manuscripts. And there's a reason why. Catholic priests inserted them several centuries later when their authority was being questioned. They wanted the Bible itself to say that the priests had authority, not women who had traditionally been part of the early Christian faith as established by Jesus. That wraps it up for today. Join me again next Sunday. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today.